Welcome to Becoming Your Best Version. I am your host, Maria Leonard Olson. I am a civil litigation attorney in Washington, D.C., obviously a podcaster, a mentor to women in recovery, a public speaker. Check out my TEDx talk called Turning Life's Challenges into a Force for Good. Follow me on social media at at 50 after 50. Check out my website, marialeonardolson.com. At that website, there are links to articles I write, books I write, public speaking events, and other things of interest to our community of women in midlife and women who are interested in becoming their better version. If you don't already know my book, my most popular book, 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter of Your Life, it's about my transformative, transformative journey after blowing up my life as a raging alcoholic and doing 50 new things to determine how I wanted to live the next chapter of my life. It's also summarized in that TEDx talk. So if you don't want to read the book, just click on the TED talk and please hit the like button because you know that likes move anything up in the visibility algorithm that governs so much of internet life. So I started this podcast three years ago to elevate and put the spotlight on interesting women whose paths have crossed mine and who have somehow inspired me on my journey. I feel so lucky that I get to work in this arena and meet amazing people. There's such synchronicity going on in my life, especially when I am open to the teachers who drop in and out of my life. And this is one of them. Kelly Carpenter, who is located in British Columbia right now, is no stranger to mind, body, and spirit awareness. She first started practicing transcendent meditation at the age of six. Kelly is now a Chopra Center certified transcendent meditation instructor, conscious relationship, uncoupling, and parent coach, and conscious connected breathwork facilitator, mentor, and trainer. She's also a published author, has professionally studied with Gabor Mate, and is the founder of both The Other Side of Average, Therapy for the Soul, and The Tosa Method, which we will get into. Kelly has trained, mentored, and guided more than 100 breathwork facilitators and organized and supported five breathwork retreats and graduation training events. I will be going to one in January, and we're going to get into that. Kelly's commitment to conscious living has allowed her to raise three beautiful children with mindfulness, overcome limiting self-concepts, heal her body of disease, and accomplish pain-free childbirth. Oh my gosh, what, I, I am just so blown away by this woman. With well over 25 years of both meditation and somatic healing experience, her gift is in holding sacred space and helping you learn and master the three most essential tools that help align you with your soul's purpose, your essential nature, and the truest expression of yourself, 
all while healing, transcending past resentments and stories that have kept you stuck and in pain, or in my case, who bring me back to those places of being stuck occasionally. And I forgive myself because I have to remember that I'm human and I can put the bat, the bat down at any time. It is then, Kelly says, that you experience the miracles and fulfillment of life in every moment and embody the presence to hold safe space for others to evolve beyond their story. Kelly's philosophy is not to become your guru or healer, but rather to hold the space needed for you to bring light into your darkness, helping you awaken the power that you already have. Kelly frequently speaks about breaking cycles of trauma, where trauma and consciousness meet, therapy for the soul, mental, emotional patterns that fall away, dysfunction that drops away, dysfunction that governs your life. Imagining a world where moms are held and learning how to transform her own mental and emotional patterns and reclaim her voice and the impact on our children. All of this information is in the show notes, as well as links to her website, her Instagram account, her Facebook, and her YouTube channel. I advise all anyone listening to this to go there now to follow her because she is helping. She is a teacher in my path who is helping me at this very moment. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to to be here. Oh my goodness. Okay. Full disclosure. I am on a time deadline on a case right now of really intense litigation matter. And I was very frazzled and Kelly did a quick meditation to help me drop into my body and be here now. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's, it's my honor, right? You know, this idea of, you know, meeting the moment and not making it wrong, but leaning in so that we can all rise through these challenges and these moments that arise in life. Well, I, I am grateful to have this angel drop into my life at this particular moment. And it is synchronicity that I had to postpone our recording and that it came up at this time. So I'm open to the lesson, higher power. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, okay. You started meditating at the age of six. Why? Why what led you to meditation at six years of age? Yeah, that was my mom, mm. but not because she was some guru. She was a seeker. She was always striving to learn. And I think just sort of knew there was something more to life, but she was also really struggling. I think mm. she had struggled for a long time with her own shame and guilt and, and, and pain. And she was going through a messy manipulative divorce and you know, most of the time when someone's in pain and they're going through something like that, it's really all consuming. And, you know, I always say with children from parents who are struggling, really unconscious children take the backseat. And, you know, I'm really glad as much as I, I took the backseat in, you know, in reference to the pain, she also had enough 
vision. She had enough desire to bring me something like meditation to support me as well as, as her. That is beautiful. My gosh. I, I'm blown away by that. I so badly want that for my children, but they're adults now. And I came to meditation later in life. And uh, I'm not sure if that is part of my legacy to them. I'm just living my amends to them and hoping mm -hmm. for the best as I continue to work on myself, that somehow that will trickle towards them. And, you know, and I really can say it will. You know, Thank oftentimes you. I'm asked, oh my God, has the damage been done? Is it too late? And, you know, one of my biggest passions is, is working with moms, you know, the ones who have enough, even if they're struggling, even if they, they don't know how, but they have some sort of vision, some sort of awareness that I want to break this cycle. Oh my gosh. I absolutely want to break the cycle of my family of origin. And there's a lot there but we're not here to talk about me. So let's talk about Kelly and share her gifts. So and you've got, I'm sorry. Can I, can I just, um, of I just course. add for any of the moms that are like, is it too late? Like it's really never too late. And sometimes when I'm asked that question, I know that, you know, certain moms are maybe struggling with their own lineage, their own relationship with their parents. And, you know, I always pose it with a question, you know, it's like, think of it as an, as an adult, if your mom started to become more conscious, more present, more compassionate, had more ability to really see you, had more ability to lean into the challenges of life that have happened or are happening, how would that impact you as a mom right now? Uh, we all know wow. the impact that it would have. And so you can see just by that, by your own story, that it's not too late for your children. Wow. I am determined not to cry because I feel like you don't know me that well, but you are speaking to me right mm -hmm. now. You're speaking to my soul. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Oh, thank you for that. So you have a string of educational kudos for want of a better term. You have studied with the best. You have so much that informs your practice. Can you tell us first, because most listeners know who Deepak Chopra is, what do, exactly does that mean that you're a Chopra-centered, certified, transcendent meditation instructor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you know, one thing to note is that what actually allows me to be create the biggest impact in my community or people I work with is not my education. <laughs> I want to say that first. Um, I think it's because my, it's my lived of experience. Course. Of course and, it is. I think and, because I'm a lawyer and people really care where yeah. you went to school that it's it is always noteworthy to me because that is how Absolutely. I was trained, but yeah. proceed. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I'm going to answer your question as well, because I, I, it is, it is an important part. I just, I also work with a lot of, you know, highly educated people that 
really don't have that really embodied lived experience that is needed to create that level of transformation. Mm. So it's a bit of a both and. Um, so a transcendent meditation. So, uh, you know, when I was six and my mom took me to learn TM, it's called transcendental meditation, TM, it's your trademark name, which is also what David Simon, Deepak Chopra, you know, were part of that TM organization in transcendental meditation. And when I, you know, I was obviously a child of TM when I was in my early twenties, I went and got recertified, um, you know, in the practice. And then when I became a teacher and I was really exploring transcendent meditation, which is more the category and not so much the name, um, the Chopra center had, you know, developed their own transcendent practice, which is called primordial sound. And so I was really exploring where I wanted to become a teacher under, and I, I chose to, you know, go to the Chopra center and be certified there, but transcendent meditation is, you know, I always say there's three types of, of meditation or three categories of meditation. There's observant focused or transcendent and observant meditation is we're just, we're observing what is as it is. So, you know, it could be a walking meditation. It could be that we're just observing the breath, you know, without change or manipulation. We're just being with it as it naturally is, or, you know, walking through the forest and just observing what there is to notice. Focused meditation is where we're focused on one thing. So we're maybe focused on a candle, or maybe we even have a particular breath pattern. So it's more of a focused pattern of breath versus observing the breath. And then transcendent is where we use the use of a mantra. Uh, it's not a, an English word. It's usually a Sanskrit. So it's used for its vibrational qualities, but it's also used simply as a tool for the mind. So, you know, what happens when we're thinking thoughts is that we usually associate and we associate that with another one. And pretty soon we're on this, you know, whole loop of the strain of, in this run of thoughts that where then we get somewhere and we're like, how did they get thinking of this? And we think back and, and, you know, we kind of trace it back and it's like, oh yeah, because I thought of that. Mm. And so what happens when we're using the mind in just the right way to go beyond the mind is we have the use of this mantra and it's this effortless process of repeating this mantra. And it's almost like, you know, the mind can't grab hold of it and run with it you know, the mind could shut it off and still run that, you know, thoughts are going to be part of the process, but it's a really incredible tool to use the mind in order to go beyond the mind. Mm. So it's a little bit of both. It's a tool for the mind, you know, give it something to do as we drop into that stillness and that silent place within, and it has a vibrational quality to it. So it's used to, you know, as a as a resonance to that stillness and that silence that exists within, or you mentioned higher power and, you know, access to that space that is beyond the physical. Wow. Well, that sounds like something I'd like in my life. And I have gone to an introductory workshop and it seemed very expensive to be, mm. to join the TM at yeah. that at that time when I did go so uh it is your work primarily 
involving TM for those with whom you work? Uh, it's, it's really, so becoming a, a teacher, I, you know, I, I've been known to say, if I had to pick one thing, it would be meditation. But thank goodness I don't need to pick one thing. <laughs> um, because I did a lot of reflection of not only, you know, the my business name, The Other Side of Average, is really because I was so average in the dysfunction, the trauma that I experienced in my life. But how was I able to approach it in a way that I could use it, that I could mm. lean into it and integrate it to really learn and to know my wholeness or my enoughness or my authenticity. And I did, you know, as I started to teach meditation, I would notice people just not utilizing, you know, meditation to its fullest, Mm. you know, just not practicing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I got curious, I started to ask like, you know, why is that? And, and in that process, I was also, you know, doing other work myself, very deep somatic work in the, you know, in the mid nineties. And so there's a lot of things that really impacted me. So in this inner reflection, essentially, I really came and my experience with clients is it really came to this understanding that we need to work from a holistic approach, Mm -hmm. the therapeutic approach, the embodied approach, and what I call the karmic approach. So, or mind, body, soul, you could call it, you know, that, oftentimes people work on mindset, right. Or affirmations and they're still not seeing results in their life because, you know, our issues are in our tissues. It's automatically in the body. So we could change our mind enough, but until we get into the body, it's still going to be there. Right. A lot of people, you know, so it's, it's working with the mind, the body and the soul. So that, you know, inquiry, um, breath work and somatic work in the body. And then meditation is that place and that access to stillness and silence. And they, they all impact and influence each, each other. So, you know, the TASA method is really centered around those three practices where we're really utilizing, um, yeah, that holistic approach. You know, some people work with, let's say, even breathwork facilitators and really activating and and bringing up the stuff that's in the tissues, but then not having the other skills to really understand and people, you know, things come up and then they, they feel dysregulated because that was a lot to come up or maybe memories or experiences. So we, we really need that holistic approach for that truest level of conscious healing, that ability to really set ourselves free from these things that have defined us. Oh my gosh. I have been to many that rings so true to me because I have been to many practitioners who enable me to bring up my trauma and yet don't help me process it and regulate it. And therein lies my issue right now. So, um, Yes. And, and it's something I feel, you know, that idea of breaking up the cycle is two categories, you know, where I'm mm-hmm. kind of most passionate to work with. And that's moms, because I imagine a world where moms were really held in this type of healing, right? That they break the cycle, the influence that has generation after generation. And then um, facilitators or space holders or therapists that 
you know, know enough to psychoanalyze <laughs> or facilitators that could bring up stuff and not know how to actually support the full integration. So, you know, space holders, you know, the need for what I call conscious support, because not all support is equal. That because is so I, true. I, you know, I believe, you know, obviously I'm a breathwork facilitator and trainer. I train trainers. And to me, you know, some people ask, you know, why should I come and work with you over another school? And it's actually because I don't believe the breath is the be all and end all. It's mm-hmm. an incredibly powerful practice, but with great power comes great responsibility. And there's more that's needed if we're really going to support someone to really integrate their pain. You are the first healing practitioner who has ever said that to me. And I am a seeker and I have gone to many healing practitioners. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. 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 It's a, it's a really, you know, it's even just the seat of someone in a, in authority is, is a powerful seat, let alone supporting someone in their healing. And with that, it, you know, we're, you know, we can't be a hundred percent responsible for other people's choices, but we're, you know, that great power comes great responsibility is a deep responsibility for how we show up. You know, are we, are we really truly seeing someone in their wholeness and supporting them to integrate, or are we just letting them talk in talk therapy for 25 years, recycling through their pain or, you know, digging deep into the somatics and bringing it all up to the surface and not knowing how to, you know, support them or maybe even intuitively saying, oh, I can see your three-year-old and that's still just someone telling them what's going on, but how do we actually help them access that within themselves? And that's the field in which I, you know, I work. Well, I wish your retreat was tomorrow. (laughs) I I really need this in my life. Can you tell our listeners about what your next retreat that you mentioned to me before we went online or on the air? Yeah, um, it's called Awakening Through Trauma, and it's an immersive retreat. It's five days long, and there's two three-hour workshops a day where we dive deep into the you know inquiry process. So there's some workshops that are kind of titled healing the mother wound or we work with the inner child or, you know, um, um, shadow work or, you know, many different layers or themes or focuses that we do some really deep somatic inquiry processes. And then we finish off with a breathwork journey that's really sacredly held in a way that isn't just about, you know, having processing everywhere and not integrating. So it's, it's really beautiful process. And there's two of those a day. So you can imagine, you know, and meditation as well. Um, and so you can imagine the transformation that's possible after five days of that, you know, I have so many times I've had people, you know, leave and say, Oh my God, my, my family was like, you need to go do another one of those. Like, mm. I can't believe, you know, I had one, you know, um, she's a, a therapist that specializes in complex PTSD and she's had some of her own, um, you know, PTSD from childhood. 
And she kind of actually stopped her practice because she was like, I need to do my work before I can really continue helping someone else. And her, her mom was like, oh my God, you need to go to another one. I can't believe the change in you. You know, I've had so much of that where, you know, children see a parent coming home and they're just actually break out in tears because, you know, as humans are, we regulate our nervous system off of each other. So we feel each other. So, you know, people coming back from that retreat, there's just such a tangible sense of change, not only just how they feel, you know, even to people around them, but how they show up and handle situations in ways yeah. that they just, you know, would have maybe reacted before. And now they're in the moment and responding instead of reacting. Wow. I mean, how many people could benefit so greatly from five days to to mm-hmm. heal in the way that you've described? My gosh, yeah. that is beautiful. Are you going to a site where you have done a retreat before? I've done one close to this area. So this, mm-hmm. uh, this January, um, 2024 is in Mexico. It's about an hour and a half from Merida or three and a half hours from Cancun. And this is a new location for me and it looks absolutely stunning and beautiful. And I have someone there that has been to it that has referred me. So I, I really trust that. Yeah. How do you choose? Do you feel, how do you choose where you hold your retreats? Because I know you do retreats on a regular basis. How do you choose? I usually do twice a year and I try to do one that's more in the North American content. Mm -hmm. I, you know, January, I like someone tropical myself (laughs) to go into the heat. Uh Um, And then in June, I usually try to pick somewhere in the European content continent, because I have a lot of um, clients that also come um, from England. Yeah. What are some of the places in Europe where you have held these retreats? Uh, last, the last one, um, I held was in Barcelona. Oh, I've always wanted to go to Barcelona. I lived in Madrid for a summer, but I didn't get to Barcelona and it's so beautiful. I've seen, well, through pictures and accounts of others. Mm -hmm. I, I actually equally had been, you know, been to Spain a couple of times and I had never Mm -hmm. visited Barcelona and I, really loved it. It's, it's actually, I haven't quite, we're in communications with the place in for next June and, you know, I think it'll be around the same, same area. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. So yeah. something that really I've been wanting to ask you about, because I personally can't imagine this, this, how does one accomplish pain-free childbirth? Mm, that's a really great question. <laughs> um, so really from this deep place of listening. I I know that we don't have a lot of time, so I'll give you the shorter version. (laughs) So I have three children. My youngest will be 19 this November and my oldest is 24. And, you know, I, from the practice of meditation and doing this personal work and this ability to really witness my mom, you know, there was one time when I was in my late teens and early twenties where I just saw her there's, I I remember kind of kneeling on the floor and just seeing her and seeing the amount of pain that she was holding 
the shame, the guilt for how she parented. And, you know, there was just such a, a sadness thinking, you know, it's this double-edged sword, you know, she's holding on to this um, and yet it's impeding what she actually desires, which is to just love and be loved without condition. And it's all I desired too, no matter what, how I was raised or what I went through, I loved my mom. Mm -hmm. She was a beautiful human and yet she carried so much pain and it was, it really got in the way and how she showed up. And so it was really at that moment. And I think even prior to, where I was like, I chose to be a conscious parent before having kids. So Mm -hmm. not only had I done a lot of somatic personal work to free myself, but that stillness, that meditation to access and, and keep connected to the part of me that was beyond physical experiences. And so I trusted in the innateness within me and spent a lifetime exploring that and listening to that deep, wise voice and knew that as women, you know, it's, it's innate in us. We're here to give birth, to, to give life. Our body is not a medical procedure. This is natural. And so that's how I approached all of my, my pregnancies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, my first one was pretty textbook. Um, you know, I had the ability to witness when I was off my, my center, but I was really present and there and and natural. And it was just the choice I made my second one. Um, even in the face of doctors saying, they don't know what's wrong with me. You know, you should have this, you should have that. Um, we're going to need to induce you, you know, all of these things. I just had the ability to go in and connect to that inner wisdom and to listen to what my, the wisdom in my body, but you know what, we have to be willing to hear the worst case scenario. We can't do that blindly, Mm -hmm. but if we really tuned in and we're actually able to hear and we're willing to hear what it has to say. um, So I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything was okay. And then in that birth, it was, it was literally blissful. Wow. In between every push, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I, I had the same emotions afterwards, like with my first, but I had more baby blues with my first, I had baby joys with my second, Mm -hmm. but there was just a bit more going on with my first in reference to, you know, even my husband and I, and so we have the same hormonal shifts, but depending on you know, our ability to be supported on the outside. And then, you know, that, that deep trust on the inside, you know, it looks different. We're still emotional. There's still hormonal changes going on. And it was after that, that it's when I started working with expecting moms, I have a meditation that, uh, so if anybody listening would like access to that, you can um, message me directly if it's sooner because I don't actually have it on my website at this moment. I just give it out to people, but it's, it's one that I wrote, um, you know, back 21 years ago and it's supporting yeah women to listen and to, to that wise voice within. And if I hadn't, I would, have, uh, you know, I would have had some sort of birth trauma 
for sure in the induction and, you know, things that, that happen when we aren't listening to our body. Um, and not that I'm a proponent to, you know, I'm not against the, the system, the medical system and the professionals. If there's a real need, I want to be, you know, in their care, yes. but I don't want it to, you know, I don't want it that, um, power and that fluent influence that seems to, you know, state that they know more than the wisdom in my body, mm. you know, wow. so it's, it's really the relationship between the two is where I see the, the most power anyway. So I knew after that, that if I had a third, I could accomplish a pain free childbirth, but you know what, by my third, I was not thinking I was of having a pain free childbirth. Um, my, I was running two businesses with a partner, my husband, we have been we're divorced, separated. And, um, we were married for 20 years, but he really struggled emotionally, you know, very dysregulated, very, you know, very conscious on one side and then dropping into deep unconsciousness. And as much as, um, you know, there was that space of let's work. I didn't want to get a divorce. I didn't get married to get a divorce. So it was like, let's do this. I want to do this with you, but he could never make the choice to really meet his pain. And so, you know, that was the, the demise. So to say on our, my, when I was pregnant with my third, there was, there was stuff going on in my relationship. So I wasn't thinking of having a pain-free childbirth, but I was still always connected to my body. You know, I was still listening. Um, and I had her at home and it was actually just the midwife said one thing to me and it was like, the forces coming together of creation, the wisdom in and innateness in my baby and my body, all three coming together. And it wasn't me giving birth. It was all three forces, powers. I don't really have a name for it that were all working in harmony. And it was like, when that happened, and I just surrendered that much. And I listened that much to my body and to, you know, wisdom greater than myself and the wisdom in my baby and all three of us working in harmony. It was just like all the pain went away. It was still a process. It was still the delivery. There's still, you know, being there in it, but it, there, it was like it, it just washed away. Well, I, wow. I am amazed. I am amazed. And I think that is so beautiful and testament to how in touch you are with the wisdom within. And I, I desperately want a little of that. Mm -hmm. So I know where to find you now. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I want to say it's actually in every one of us. Yes. It's who we are at our core. Yeah, I think I know that you are right. I think that in our busy culture, many of those, many of us who consider ourselves seekers achieve a certain level of awareness and then fall back into old patterns when we get busy or upset. And I would like to stop doing that, but that mm. is part of who I am at this particular moment. Yeah. And, you know, and, 
and one of the ways in which I, I work is that there's a, there's these three practices that support us. Mm-hmm. And within that, it's this ability just to allow this moment that when we try to get rid of something, when we try to fix something, when we try to heal something, you know, that which we resist persists or that which we fight fights back. And so this process of really meeting the moment that every challenge we have, every area we feel stuck or overwhelmed has a gift within it. So the work that I do in the world is really about helping people meet themselves, meet, you know, like all of our mental, emotional, and behavioral patterns are in service to a true unmet need. So can we meet the moment? Can we really, you know, unearth what's wanting to be known or understood so that we can use these challenges or this stuckness or this overwhelm to know more of our wholeness? Oh, I will take that in and try to remember it the next time. I I will try to remember it, just period. Yeah, that's it. It's that ultimate, <laughs> it's that ultimate compassion and act of love mm, to love embrace that. this moment as it is. You know, I always say it doesn't matter where we are in our healing journey. Everyone of every one of us has different experiences, but the one thing every one of us has in common is that we want to be seen, held, and loved exactly as we are. And sometimes that's in our messiness, it, but it doesn't mean that's all of who we are. Sometimes that's in our brilliance, and it doesn't mean that somehow we don't have messy moments. Wow. We, we are all of it. Gosh. Oh, I think you... You've just said half the things that I wrote about in my journal today. It, it's uncanny how how much that synchronicity is happening at this particular moment. But we don't have all day, although I could talk to you all day. So I would like to know, because I ask all the guests this following question. What do you do, Kelly, to become your best version? Mm. I guess if I had to pick one thing, as I said, with meditation, it would be dropping <laughs> into silence. And if I didn't have to pick one thing, it would be utilizing all three of those conscious practices, the use of inquiry, really using breathwork somatically to meet some of those emotions that want to be held and to use meditation to drop into that stillness and to that silent place that is bigger than any life circumstance that could meet my path. Wow, that is definitely what I will be aspiring to in the coming days. So I encourage all of you to go online and look at theothersideofaverage.com where you can get links to all of Kelly's offerings. Kelly, is there anything that you want to say that I didn't? we didn't get a chance to get to? No, just, uh, you know, a huge... Thank you for having me on this beautiful podcast. And yeah, um, a call to every listener to know that that innateness is within each of us. I'm no different. I just have had the right support and the right tools to know that self, that part of myself more. And that's in each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. 
She's humble too. My gosh, can this woman get any better? I don't know. But, but thank you for being on the podcast. I know that you have a lot of clients. You're three hours behind us here on the East Coast and you're in the middle of your workday. So thank you so much. And tune in next week to hear some words of wisdom from another inspiring women. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.